And she said, look, 32 is your number. And she said, I know, I can tell you are watching everybody else and it's all happening for them one by one. And it's going to do that through your entire 20s and into your 30s. And it will feel, she said, when you turn 30, it will feel like everything's falling to shit. Don't freak out because it will pick up really fast and then it will happen. I just kept thinking 32, that's going to happen. It's going to happen later for me and I'm okay with that. And at 32, I met Dutch and launched Isle of Paradise and my whole life changed. What do Kate Moss, Kendall Jenner and Sienna Miller all have in common? Well, they've all been spray tanned by today's guest. Jules Von Hepp is a celebrity spray tanner and co-founder of the award-winning self-tan brand Isle of Paradise. He's been responsible for bronzing Hollywood royalty and Fashion Week models for over 15 years. He also happens to be a ray of golden sunshine. Passionate about making people feel confident and strong, Jules uses his social platforms to spread joy and positivity with a message of self-care, self-love and self-acceptance. In this podcast, Jules discusses hitting rock bottom and explains why he's on a mission to make you feel better about your body and why he's determined to spread his body positive message beyond his tanning booth. Jules von Hepp, I want to hear everything. Oh my God, welcome to the number. You're Thank a married you man. Thank so much. Babes, I'm a married man, although I've just realised I've not even got my wedding ring on. It's been that kind of day. I keep forgetting to put it on because... I'm just one of those people that does the washing up and I can't cook with a wedding ring on. I can't do anything with it. So, yeah, I am married now, but no ring. It's kind of sink. Congratulations. <laughs> so you know what I heard the other day, actually? Apparently you can get a plastic wedding ring. So for people who are super active, like, you know, if you surf or you scuba dive or whatever, or you, you like to take your ring off while you're cooking, you put a plastic one on in, in its place. And I was like, really it's like yeah and skiers apparently do this a lot as well i'm like what's the point in that it's like well you know so you can show that you're married i'm like i mean if you if you have to put a plastic wedding ring on when you're on the (laughs) slopes for fear of maybe you know not behaving yourself i'd reconsider marriage i'd rather be seen dead than wearing a plastic wedding ring (laughs) no chance And how have things been? I mean, I love the last time I saw you was at your Dublin launch of Isle of Paradise, which must oh be four years god. ago, five <laughs> years ago. Oh my god! Yeah, um, it'll be five years ago. Yeah, because Isle of Paradise will be six soon. So it's been a whirlwind, Darren. Like it's so yeah. I've created Isle of Paradise. Really, I always thought that it was going to be this cool little niche brand that maybe sold in a couple of boutiques, and it surprisingly not surprisingly amazingly exploded and is now sold all over the world and it's been an absolute roller coaster like I started out as a spray tanner backstage um, and never really envisaged a life as a global brand founder but apparently this is the life I was supposed to lead. I want to go right back to the beginning for you and I think you do this perfectly with the first questions like what's a meaningful number for you and your family? So a number for me and my family I would pick is number two. I actually, this is actually quite a hard one to answer because I don't come from a huge family. Um, I've got one brother, so there's two of us, got two parents, they're still together. So two seems to be like a really neat number. We, I was born in Yorkshire, my family is completely from Yorkshire, and then we moved to Nottinghamshire. So I split my life in my teenage and childhood years in between Yorkshire and Nottingham. So 
we were brought up in the Midlands, but always told you're Northern. You are Northern. <laughs> like, and it, a Yorkshire way of life is very much about kindness. It's about solid values, salt of the earth, really um, being true to who you are, not necessarily being showy, being quite humble with success and just quite Irish do- in many respects. Very Irish, very mm. Irish. Um, and just everybody's <clears throat> equal. And that's something that I really stand to now. And I think it's something that put me in good stead um, going into my career, working with so many different types of people. A person is a person to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you're from, what background you have, how much money you have, what you believe, you're still a human being. And mm. I believe every human is equal. I, I'm we are so on the same page there and that's something that I, I you know like you I work all over the world and it's what I carry with me and sometimes you meet these incredibly successful people who are you know known all over the world and I'll, I'll meet people and it always happens when I'm in the airport because I used to work in Aer Lingus and check in so I'll meet like people I haven't seen for a while and they're like oh my god I follow you on Instagram you met you met you know Chriselle you were filming with Chriselle from Seven Sons at what she's like I'm like she's amazing but I'm like in the same way that like I've also meet beautiful baristas serving me my coffee or, you know, the, the janitor in the gym. Like I, I'm the exact same as you. And I think, I mean, for me, it's it's certainly it's it's been something. And I only realize this now in retrospect. It's something that you realize helps you really connect with people on a very simple human level. Definitely. And I mm. think I think. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everyone's got humor. Everyone's got softness. Everyone's got kindness. There's a vulnerability to everyone. And whether you're interviewing them, whether you are spray tanning them, doing makeup, whether you're working with them, whether you're like making them better, connection is so important. I think it's part of human, um, just being a human. Mm-hmm. So I think those Yorkshire roots will never leave me. And my parents... Um, my grandparents didn't have any money growing up. You know, they, my dad's from a council estate. My mum's from farming. And we were always taught, especially by my grandparents, that money doesn't buy happiness. It doesn't make you happy. And you can have fun at home doing anything. Like my granddad always taught me, um, if you're having a bad day, just dick around the house doing silly walks and it will it will cheer you up. And that's something that even now when I'm making content on my Insta channel, like that is something that comes up. And I think, God, I'm so lucky that I had that because Mm -hmm. I do meet people who really believe that money is everything and material goods and status is everything that you really need. But actually, all you need is a roof over your head and a family that love you. In terms of your career then, what's the number that changed everything for you there? Because you've had an interesting road. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, A a career that I don't think I ever imagined. Like I always thought I would be a fashion buyer. I always thought I was going to do fashion buying or fashion marketing. I went to university, studied fashion, loved it, had the best time ever and went into the industry. And I was like, oh my God, this is awful. I don't like this at all. <laughs> everything everything that I've spent the last four years going towards, I've actually got it here and I'm like, oh no, this isn't for me. Um, so I really kind of bounced around doing lots of different things, lived in Australia, um, was working in fashion in Australia, but actually working in beauty as well at Vogue. And when I started working in beauty, I was like, mm, I quite like this side. I've always loved... 
creating a look and aesthetic and emotion and how things make you feel as opposed to just a front and beauty kind of felt like a very warm industry for me to go into I felt very safe I liked the creativity side of it um so tried lots of different jobs in that doing lots of desk work and then I met somebody called Nicola Joss and she's still one of my friends now we live actually across the field from each other I have to move near to her because we, <laughs> we get on so well I love that. and she is a celebrity facialist she does Margot Robbie uh, Julia Roberts everybody's facials you name it she does it she said to me I think you've got what it takes to be an amazing spray tanner and at the time I was like what are you fucking talking about I'm like, where, where did that come from well we just were talking about work and I was like we were having a drink and I was like I don't know what I'm doing um, and she was like I think you'd be amazing and she said because it's so much more than just painting a fence. There's so much connection and it takes a certain type of person. You need warmth, you need kindness, you need compassion, you need a bit of a journey behind you to understand what other people are going through. Um, So I was like, oh, fuck it, I've got nothing to lose. Like, I'll just get trained and I'll just, I'll tan my mates at the weekend and let's just see. And then turns out I really enjoyed it and I loved it and started doing tans on the side. And then one day I tanned a makeup artist called Natalia Nair. And she said, oh, I'm doing The X Factor. Would you be interested in doing the tans on The X Factor? Darren, I knew jack shit about tan. Like I was (laughs) winging it. But at that time, and this is my number, my number is seven. Because for seven days a week, in the week, at my desk, doing my desk job, and at the weekend, Friday night, I would go to Elstree Studios in London, and I would do the tans on the X Factor. And like this was my first real kind of brush with behind the glitter curtain, as it were. It was my first backstage gig, and I'd gone in at like, I mean, I remember going in, walking in, and Lady Gaga would be performing on the X Factor that night, and people were screaming at the gates. I'd been lugging my tanning booth through, literally in my office clothes, and people would be handing me stuff to pass to Lady Gaga. I was like, what is my life? What's going on? (laughs) But during that time, I felt this feeling in my stomach that, this was what I was supposed to do. This is where I'm supposed to be. And instead of going with my head and saying, I should do the safe job, I should do the job that has the obvious career ladder, the regular pay, actually, my gut said, you need to take this leap. And on the final of that X Factor, Little Mix won. And I remember, because I'd obviously worked so closely with them, and they were really young at the time, um, I just remember feeling the energy from them that they were going for their dream. They were going for what felt good and they were taking the risk. And I watched them winning. I watched all the fireworks go off and I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do this and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be a spray tanner. So I went into work the next, like the following week and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to be a spray tanner. Um, And then from that, because I, I was working with Little Mix for a bit and then started to pick up clients because I'd meet people on shoots. You'll know how it goes. And then I met 
um, Lisa Armstrong, who was the head makeup artist and still is on Strictly Come Dancing. And she said, the show is just known for orange tans. I need somebody that can make this not, I don't want any of the headlines to be about the tans. I want it to be about the dancing, about the celebrities. I don't want it to be about the makeup team. Um, and apparently you do the best tans. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went on, to, I did Strictly for three years, um, which was like a crash course in tanning. And it it changed changed my life really. So seven is my number because I trusted my gut. I worked hard. I didn't really earn any money, but mm-hmm. it paid off. And I'm really glad that I did that. You know, it's it's great. And I know for anyone listening to this, it's it's so um, uplifting to hear that and hear someone. But when you're in, in the weeds, so to speak, and you're trying to listen to your gut and you're not sure if your gut's telling you the right thing or you know, your, your logic is kicking in, you said they're following what makes you happy. Um, which just really resonated with me. Do you think that's something that is is easy to tune in or how do you tune into it? Um, I think Annie Mack once said to me, and I, I always credit her and she always credits Annie Nightingale, never underestimate the power of your passion. And the thing is, if you're getting up every day and I'm not, and I'm taking money off the table here because I believe that when you enjoy something that you do, money really is secondary because it flows in abundance because you are enjoying it. You're happy. I remember sitting with friends in pubs after that, like working day, and they'd all be moaning about their job and they'd hate it. And I think I've had the best day ever. I've been with three, four clients. I've made them feel amazing. Sure, I haven't been paid that much. I'm struggling to pay my rent, but I've had a great day. And just for me, that drove me. It made me work harder because I didn't want to go into the life where I didn't feel that happiness or pride in my work or contentment. I wanted to get up every day and go to bed every night, having had a great day because I love what I do. Following your bliss. Yeah, I think so. And like, yeah, there are moments when you tune out of your gut and you say, I don't think, I don't know if this is the right thing I can do. What am I going to do? I I taught myself to video edit when I was spray tanning because I thought if something happens with spray tanning or if I like break my wrist and I can't hold a spray tan gun anymore, I'm going to need a secondary skill. Um, So I did that. And actually, that's done me the world of favors doing social media um, and having a digital first business, really. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, just don't be afraid of creating a side hustle that could become a backup career, but definitely always follow what makes you feel good. Uh, Do you still spray tan clients? Yeah, I do. I do a little bit. I don't have time to do it as much anymore, which is something that you have to get, you have to commit to. Um, But there was a point where I was doing the Isle of Paradise Instagram, I was going to retailer pitches, I was juggling my clients, I was doing everything. And then as the business gets bigger, I just thought I don't have time to teach people how to tan at home and spray tan clients. Of course, I do it for my friends for their weddings. Of course, when the A-listers come and they only want me, I will do it. Um, But I also have trained teams of girls that do the tan how I do it, and they're out and about in London now. So there's, there's moments where you have to go, if I don't stop doing this, I won't progress onto this. And yes. the, the boats, I believe that boats in life line up and a boat turns up and you know that it's time to get off the boat you're on and onto the next one. Um, but 
I always, I love spray tanning and I love it when I do a friend's tan or I, I'm with somebody doing tan because there's a really lovely intimate moment where you're together and you're connecting and it just, it changed my outlook on life. It changed my body confidence as well. Like mm -hmm. I was around naked people all day, every day. And it showed me that everybody wobbles, everybody has these hangups and life's too short to hate how you look. You know, you've spoken about your journey there, uh, growing up in Not Nottinghamshire. Something about yep. that, right? Yeah. And, you know, obviously moving to London, getting into that. So what ages, if you were to pinpoint it, what ages have been significant for you in your life? 18 has been an age when I really struggled um, mm. in my identity and who I was. Um, I think 20... Five has been an age when the X Factor started to happen and that all started to unfold. But 32 has been the age that I will always look back on and hold on to because when I was in my 20s and anyone listening who might be in their 20s, I felt so lost and I felt really like I was trying so many different avenues to find who I was and I was meeting so many boys who were just messing me about and not treating me well. And I don't think I had respect for myself. All my friends were in relationships. They were all buying houses. They were all getting promotions. And I was like, oh my God, why isn't it happening to me? And I had a psychic reading. I have had many oh, psychic readings. I love readings. a psychic reading. Tell us. I love a reading. Love and a this, reading. This was a reading actually that came by chance. And this is why I really believe that it's important to be open when you meet people and as an Irish person you will totally identify with this just chat just have the yeah. chat with randoms connect <laughs> with randoms just be open to life and oh I talk I to was... everybody I know that everybody I'm walking down the street with a dog it takes me like 20 minutes I should only be two like I will talk to that wall I'm like I'm with you People are like, Darren, where have you been? It's been three days. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you, little, sorry, little random story, right? So yesterday, I'm in LA at the moment. So yesterday, I was, I was filming last night and I was like, I really wanted just to squeeze in a quick gym workout. So I went to the gym and I was like, tight for time. I did 20 minutes and I was like, feck, I better order an Uber. Even though it's like, it was a 20 minute walk. I said, I'm going to order an Uber. I ordered a Uber. And I'm, I messaged him and said, I'm going to come across to the correct side of the road for you. Make it easier. So I'm running across the road and there's a bus there. And the lady driving the bus sees me running. So she stops the bus. And I'm like, oh, shit. She thinks I want the bus. And then I said, she goes, jump on. And I went, um, are you going up sunset? And she went, yeah. And I went, can I pay with my phone? And she's like, no, but just jump on anyway. So I'm like, okay, she's been so kind and lovely. I have to jump <laughs> on this bus. So... I jump on the bus and I'm like, thank you so much. And I'm like, it's like frantically trying to cancel my Uber, which I think was behind the bus. And then I'm like, and then I had this gorgeous chat with the bus driver. And I don't think anyone talks to the bus driver in LA. Anyway, sorry, I digress. No, but that is like London cabbies when you just have conversations by chance. I bet you had a lovely chat with her. Oh, lovely. she was so lovely. She, yeah. There's yeah. good, kind souls everywhere, but you just have to be open to receive that energy um lol, so tell me about your psychic sorry i'm going off kilt um so met this psychic and she in a bar we were just touched went look don't be free out, but, but i'm a bit psychic and i was like bitch i'm in i'm in let me get a shot let's let, like, let, let's 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 light this up 
And she was, she was like, you know, your energy is really great, blah, 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 blah. And she said, look, 32 is your number. And she said, I know I can tell you are watching everybody else and it's all happening for them one by one. And it's going to do that through your entire twenties and into your thirties. And it will feel, she said, when you turn 30, it will feel like everything's falling to shit and don't freak out because it will pick up really fast and then it will happen. And I just, I remember feeling like contentment from that. And I took through my twenties when, so as she said, everyone else was taking off and everyone's career was exploding. And I was like, what about me? Um, I just kept thinking 32, that's going to happen. It's going to happen later for me. And I'm okay with that. And at 32, I met Dutch and launched Isle of Paradise and my whole life changed. And do you know, do you know who that person is? Have you ever seen her again? No, 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 no. Don't even, I don't even, I haven't got a number, nothing. It was like, that was like an angel or a, a moment was sent to me. For sure. That is that is incredible. And you know what? I think it's also worth saying, you know, 30, 32 is not old for things to click in. I mean, for some no. people, it's 42. For some people, it's 52. You know, and we're living in a world now where, you know, it could be 62. I mean, look at, at Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, she's Jennifer living her Coolidge, best life. Jennifer Coolidge has literally lifted so much anxiety from my shoulders. Like, it, she's, just ma- she's just made me think... It doesn't matter how old you are. I think you'll know, like in, especially in our industry, it's a very young industry. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things happen to people very early and you watch things happen. But when I, when Jennifer Coolidge had her moment and is having her moment and it's so amazing to see, I've just felt calm about everything. I'm not rushing mm-hmm. to get things done. I'm like, oh my God, don't even worry about it. it can, like things can happen at any time. Why were you still, even though all those things, beautiful things happened to you when you entered like the year of 32, do you still get a bit of anxiety about not achieving or like comparing yourself to other people's success? Really? 100%. I'm a yeah. human. Yeah. And like, yeah. I think it's a blessing and a curse. Like I'm not very good at rest. I don't rest on laurels. And I um, sometimes I don't uh, live in the present enough. And I'm always wanting the next thing and aiming for the next thing. And that is kind of why Isle of Paradise has been as great as it has. But also, it's not necessarily good for me because I need to focus more on now, not and how tomorrow. Do you, how, how do you do that? Mantras, affirmations, moments. Uh, my friend taught me a really good technique where you do five senses and you stop and you say, okay, right now, this second, what can I feel, taste, smell? And you close your eyes and you just really focus in on the present and it just calms you down. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And this is the journey that I'm supposed to be on. Grounds me. Yeah, I'm actually feeling a bit of relief even thinking of that. Like it's kind of, it's kind of like taking the lid off a, you know, a boiling kettle sometimes. Let, let the steam off. Yeah, and I think... Comparison is the thief of joy, and it's so easy to fall into comparison traps, especially now with social media, especially now that we are holding on to friend connections way longer than what we would have done before social media, before the internet. You know, people would have drifted in and out of our lives, whereas now we have friends much longer. And so comparison can really, it's very triggering for a lot of people. So I think a big lesson that I've learned is recognizing when it is comparison. You know, when you actually, the world isn't falling to shit. You're not not achieving. You're just deep in a comparison trap. 
And so bring me back. So you kind of referenced your 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 twenties and your late teens a little bit earlier. Um, what was that period like for you? And I guess you know when you look at that personal journey and of that personal growth and development, what's the number that you wish you could forget? Eighteen. Eighteen for sure. Um, I think at eighteen I was very unhappy. I'd carried a lot of uh, trauma through my teenage years um and was very suicidal was self-harming was very lost um really really hated how i looked and based so much of my worth on my aesthetic and obviously i can say now looking back that obviously that time very much carved out the journey for me and very much led me to doing what I'm doing now and being passionate about inclusivity and body confidence and representation and teaching people to like how they look. But for me, 18 was a very dark and lonely year. And it wasn't until I went to uni and changed it up and just flipped my life upside down that I actually started to find who I was. I don't think I found, I don't think I ever found who I was until I was like 25. Whereas everyone else seemed to have their shit together. What was happening for you personally when you were 18? Um, God, I was at a very overachieving um, boys' school where people were all lining up to go to med school, law school, yada, yada, yada. I wanted to study fashion. I didn't really fit in with everyone. I had some friends, but they weren't really friend friends. I just kind of was coasting along. Um, and I just was, wasn't doing any work. Just, I just wasn't in a great place. Um, and I think I just felt like I was supposed to be, I feel like I was supposed to be in a life that I wasn't living. Like I was just somewhere else. And in terms of my sexuality, I'm quite clearly gay. I'm camp. I know I'm very flamboyant. I, and growing up in Nottingham, this is way before social media, homophobia was rife. It was rife. And going out in bars was a very nervous experience for me. Like people would say stuff, people would physically do stuff. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a joyful experience. So that really does, it affects, it affects who you are massively. I've had a lot of therapy to get over those times. I've worked through it and I've carved it out, but Yeah. That really strikes a chord for me, you know, and and I've spoken about it before and I, I you know, won't necessarily get into it now. But for me, it was 15, 16 and it was feeling all those, I guess, insecurities and inadequacies and feeling like you don't belong. And it's, it's kind of one of the worst feelings in the world. It's like feeling like you don't belong and that you're being rejected, you know, for not playing football, for not like I went to an old boys Christian brother school and it was just, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And what the reason, well, I think it's heartbreaking now because we, we're standing here, we've gotten through it, we've be- become the people we are as a result, but it, it really upsets me to think that someone is going through that now, today. Mm. You know, and it still happens, unfortunately. Um, and I did see you, you, I think it was around Pride Month, you had done the most beautiful video f- with Sephora. Um, was yes. It, yeah, was it around bullying and coming out? I'm tra- I, I, it was um, a while ago. So Sephora um, has a running kind of campaign on their social pages called We Belong. And I was one of their voices on We Belong during Pride Month. And just speaking about my journey and about how 
bisexuality um, was quite, it, I was always told, and I don't know whether you ever got told this by an agent or anything is, you don't want to be known by your sexuality. Don't mm -hmm. let that become a part yeah. of you. Hide, hide that. Yeah, hide who um, you are. Hide who you are. So mm -hmm. it then like, that manifests itself in such a weird way internally. And there are people, there are so many people who have to hide their sexuality and feel like they have to do that, where that's absolutely not the case. Um, so yeah, I felt very honored to be part of that Pride campaign because Sephora obviously has a huge voice and is one of the most inclusive companies ever. And that's mm -hmm. such a joy to be around. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever felt like pride until my 30s i don't think i ever really felt those i didn't i didn't go to my first pride until well into my 30s when i was with dutch um, oh really yeah i felt too nervous and i think in my 20s i didn't really have i'm not i don't have a gay group of friends i have single gay friends mm -hmm. um but for me going to gay bars was very nerve-wracking it was like I, I wasn't confident in my body so i didn't feel like i was like sexually attractive so it's just this whole thing. So I just, I just went to straight parties. Always, like, I just always went out with my straight friends. Always went to yeah. straight parties. Um, and now I'm like, no, we're going to a gay bar. No, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm much more proud of who I am than I've ever been. I love that. I love that. And you've, you've also, because I know from following your socials, well, you, you are absolutely hilarious as well. You also tackle kind of issues that we don't necessarily... Um, especially for men, there's not necessarily many platforms talking about it. And, and growing up, you were living with body dysmorphia and disordered eating. How has that impacted your life? Um, I think anyone listening who has, who has been a victim of disordered eating, it kind of never leaves you. Um, mm -hmm. It's a constant battle and a constant journey in your brain because something that I've Defi realized is... Jules, sorry, define disordered eating for you, just so we make, we're so clear I had on what... An I, I had anorexia, okay. um, and I have had many, many years of body dysmorphia. So body dysmorphia is when you... If you say to people, I'm fat, I'm ugly, and you, the conversation in your head is just consistently negative, picking flaws in your body and in your reflection when you look in front of the mirror... But what that's doing is the conversation that you have with yourself is the longest conversation you'll ever have in your life. And that conversation then becomes negative and it impacts everything. It impacts, like I just wouldn't go to parties. I'd cancel plans. I didn't want to go clothes shopping. Working in the beauty industry whilst having body dysmorphia is very, very bizarre and difficult. But I also think spray tanning saved that because I was working with so many different types of naked people, seeing so many different types of bodies um, and tanning some of the worlds who were deemed the most beautiful people in the world, Victoria's Secret models, and then they would slug off their body. And I just think, well, hang on, if you, if you are supposed to be the most beautiful woman in the world and you hate your body and I'm stood here and I hate my body and actually I speak to my friends and they hate their bodies, then actually this is a global issue. This is an issue where we're all conditioned to hate how we look. And I started to really unpack it and I was like, I wasn't born hating how I look. I wasn't born loathing my body. This is a learned behavior that I've learned from social norms and from marketing. And actually, I need to reprogram this completely in my brain. Otherwise, I'm going to just spend the rest of my life hating how I look. And is that what I want to do? 
And is it something no. that you 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 kind of reg regularly have to pull into like check? It's something that I have to repeat daily to myself. I have to do the mantras. I have to do positive conversations with myself. I have to really note when I'm speaking negatively to myself. And if if I'm being a little bitch to myself, I have to say, I have to pull myself up on it. Mm -hmm. um, exercise has had a massive positive impact for me. Not going to the gym to change my body shape, but just going to the gym or going to a spin class just to enjoy it and just to release endorphins and connect yeah. with my body on a deeper level. I kind of feel like we we touched on this, but what's the number that changed your life? For me, it was 19. Um, 19 definitely was, it felt like the shackles started to come off. Um, I went to uni and studied something that I was really interested in. And I met a group of friends that I'd never really had like this group of friends before. And I just I started saying yes to life and I started exploring who I was. I started, you know, dyeing my hair, wearing loads of makeup, wearing mad clothes that I knew my mum would hate. And I was like, fuck it, I don't live at home anymore. I'm going to wear these. <laughs> and I felt like it was almost like my phoenix wings came out and I just started to really fly a bit. And from that, like, knowing that I could, you know, I came from like a tiny town in Nottinghamshire and from farming stock in Yorkshire. And then I went to Manchester, literally felt like I'd, I was like, oh my God, I'm in, I'm, I'm Carrie Bradshaw in New York. That's how I felt. <sighs> and then from there, just that learning and those, that, you know, those years, 19, 20, 21, then I moved to Sydney and Sydney really changed my life. Um, made a group of friends um, and 19 actually was the house number that we lived in, in Sydney in as Sydney. well. Um, and during that time, like going to the beach, meeting people who were traveling, backpacking, I was working, I was a million miles from home. I had no, no money. I was the brokest I've ever been when I lived in Australia. I was literally selling my clothes to pay for my drinks. It was like, <laughs> it was that. Um, but it changed my life. And I remember being in Australia and unfortunately, I couldn't get sponsored. It was the time when the recession hit and I was like, oh God, I and mean, what am I going to do? So I had to move back. Um, but I said to myself, one day I'm going to work between Australia and London. I'm never going to stop coming back here. This is my happy place. And I picked up Australian spray tan clients when I lived in London. Some would fly me over to Australia to do a spray tan. I have been to Melbourne for eight hours and back oh I got off the my plane, did a spray tan came back like, oh I have my done that. god That's so when people outrageous. moan to me about oh that four-hour flight's far I'm like bitch that four-hour flight is nothing like a 26-hour flight I have done it um and now Isle of Paradise sells in Mecca in Australia and my cousin's just moved to Australia she sent me a picture of my face next to the products she was like oh my god I can't believe this I'm like yeah, I manifested this life for me. And I'm going at Christmas. I go all the time. I love it. I love that country. Do you believe in manifesting? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I believe I manifested Dutch. I believe I manifested this house. Um, I have a group with my girlfriends that's all about manifesting and being accountable. Do it all the time. I love it. And so when you, when you say you do it all the time, what do you do? What's the practice? I really... 
take time out and try and focus on what I truly want to achieve and what I want and see in my life. Mm. And I vision that. I write things in my phone, I journal it, and talk about it with my, with, in this manifesting group. Um, and this is very spiritual, but I call it in. And I feel like you can connect with your inner power and you can really, if you want something, you can call it in. I always said, I'm gonna have a six foot five blonde husband who's not from the UK. Always said it, boom, there, he turns up. I want to live 10 minutes from the sea and an hour train to London. And we did a manifesting board, I have it still now, Dutch and I, we want a house, we wanna live 10 minutes from the sea. It's gonna have a palm tree. It's gonna be a different type of house we moved into this house, found the vision board a year later. I was like, look, we did it. We did everything we said we were going to do because we called it in. Um, do you manifest? When you, when you, sorry, when you say call it in, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, this is good. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, I mean that you <laughs> connect with a higher being and you almost feel the vibrations in your system. And I think that you can pull in desires from the universe i'm not i don't believe in god but i am agnostic i do believe that there is a secondary being within the universe and for me i just repeat i repeatedly say to myself what i want and for me that puts me on a focus and gets me somewhere i love that um and our last number what's the number that you check regularly I really wanted to say something really like profound during this, but I'm a real sucker for checking followers and checking views and checking oh. stats and sales and monitoring those kind of numbers. Like everything always comes down to progressive numbers and moving forward. A few quick fire questions for you. How much is in your wallet right now? Absolutely nothing because I don't carry cash. I'm such a pay on the phone kind of person. I know, what a bougie bitch. Love it. Favourite time of day? Six, five past six in the morning. It's when I get up every morning. Um, Very specific. Yeah, well, I'm a Virgo. (laughs) Five past six is when I get up and I come downstairs, make my coffee and I just sit on my own in the house, deadly still, and I watch the sunrise or I just sit in the darkness. It's like my time. How many coffees a day do you have and what's your order? Two. I have two coffees. I have black coffee in the morning and then I have an oat flat white at some point through the day. It has to be before 2 p.m. And I really, really enjoy it. I savour it. What's your favourite number? Um, Six. Because my birthday is, well, my birthday is six of the ninth. So you can flip it. Oh, I like that symmetry. Mm. Uh, What's your guilty pleasure? Eating hummus in my underwear. (laughs) (laughs) What does the world need? more kindness what age do you think you'll live till oh i really am so focused on 100 at the moment i'm manifesting it for myself oh my i want to make 100 <laughs> i love that i love that you already had an answer i love that uh what's the number that strikes the fear of god in you the number if a number it calls me that comes with bad news okay i think and what's the number one lesson that took you the longest to learn that life is way too short to hate how you look and how you look and who you are is absolutely good enough, babes. Jules, 
Thank you. I feel like I kind of feel like I'm slightly floating after that. That was. It's, it's been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast. Like, it's so lovely to see you. You too. You've been an absolute dream. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation with Jules. Thank you, Jules, for your candor, for your joy. When we stopped recording, we actually continued chatting for about 45 minutes. I could speak to him all day, every day. Uh, What an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to follow Jules, he's Jules Von Hepp on Instagram, and he delivers a daily dose of positivity, as you can imagine. Now, if you loved this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review and star rating. It really does help the podcast grow and other people to find us and if you'd like to receive weekly installments of the numbers straight to your phone hit the subscribe button until next time that's it from me take care <laughs>